Dear listeners, are you tired of the endless cycle of fad diets and extreme measures? It's time to wake up to a better weight loss solution with Robody. As someone who's been through the ups and downs of weight loss, I know firsthand the challenge of trying to find what will stick. That's why if I qualified for Robody today, I'd jump at the chance for a scientifically backed program that supports long-term success. With Robody, you'll gain access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market, paired with personalized lifestyle changes. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Row to help them lose weight. Say goodbye to the roller coaster of weight loss dreams and hello to sustainable, real results with Robody. Go to row.co slash snoozecast. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash snoozecast. our show, please write us a review on the podcast app. Also, share us with a friend. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters and by the head of the dinner table. We feel fortunate to receive so many listener requests for particular stories. Thank you to everyone who has done so. We love to know what you think. If you're a Patreon supporter, Please message us, and we will prioritize your request to the top of the queue. Tonight, we'll read the opening stories in Tales of King Arthur and the Round Table, published in 1918 by Andrew Lang. King Arthur was a legendary British leader who, according to medieval histories and romances, led the defense of Britain against Saxon invaders in the late 5th and early 6th centuries. The details of Arthur's story are mainly composed of folklore and literary invention, and modern historians generally agree that he is unhistorical. The Knights of the Round Table are the knightly members of the legendary fellowship of the King Arthur in literature. Let's get cozy. Close your eyes. Relax your body into the softness of your bed. Now, take a few deep breaths. Part 1 
the drawing of the sword. Long, long ago, after Uther Pendragon died, no king reigned in Britain, and every knight hoped to seize the crown for himself. The country was like to fare ill when laws were broken on every side, and the corn, which was to give bread to the poor, was trodden underfoot, and there was none to bring the evildoer to justice. Then, when things were at their worst, came forth Merlin the Magician, and fast he rode to the place where the Archbishop of Canterbury had his dwelling. They took counsel together and agreed that all the lords and gentlemen of Britain should ride to London and meet on Christmas Day, now at hand in the great church. So this was done. And on Christmas morning, as they left the church, they saw in the churchyard a large stone, and on it a bar of steel. And in the steel a naked sword was held, and about it was written in letters of gold, Whoso pulleth out this sword is by right of birth King of England. They marveled at these words and called for the archbishop and brought him into the place where the stone stood. Then those knights who fain would be king took firm hold of the hilt and they tugged at the sword with all their might, but it never stirred. The archbishop watched them in silence, but when they were faint from pulling, he spoke. The man is not here who shall lift out that sword, nor do I know where to find him. But this is my counsel, that two knights be chosen, good and true men, to keep guard over the sword. Thus it was done. But the lords and gentlemen at arms cried out that every man had a right to try to win the sword, and they decided that on New Year's Day a tournament would be held, and any knight who would might enter the lists. So on New Year's Day, the knights, according to custom, went to hear service in the great church. And after it was over, they met in the field to make ready for the tourney. Among them was a brave knight called Sir Ector, who brought with him Sir Kay, his son, and Arthur, Kay's foster brother. Now Kay had unbuckled his sword the evening before and in his haste to be at the tourney had forgotten to put it on again, and he begged Arthur to ride back and fetch it for him. But when Arthur reached the house, the door was locked, 
for the women had gone out to see the tourney. And though Arthur tried his best to get in, he could not. Then he rode away in great anger and said to himself, Kay shall not be without a sword this day. I will take that sword in the churchyard and give it to him. And he galloped fast till he reached the gate of the churchyard. He jumped down, tied his horse tightly to a tree, and, running up to the sword, seized the handle and, lightly and fiercely, drew it out. Then he mounted his horse again and delivered the sword to Sir Kay. The moment Sir Kay saw the sword, he knew it was not his own, but the sword of the stone. And he sought out his father, Sir Ector, and said to him, Sir, this is the sword of the stone. Therefore, I am the rightful king. Sir Ector made no answer, but signed to Kay and Arthur to follow him, and they all three went back to the church. Leaving their horses outside, they entered the choir, and here Sir Ector took a holy book and bade Sir Kay swear how he came by that sword. My brother Arthur gave it to me, replied Sir Kay. How did you come by it? asked Sir Ector, turning to Arthur. Sir, said Arthur, when I rode home for my brother's sword, I found no one to deliver it to me. And as I resolved he should not be swordless, I thought of the sword and the stone, and I pulled it out. Were any knights present when you did this? asked Sir Ector. No, none, said Arthur. Then you are the rightful king of this land, said Sir Ector. But why am I the king? inquired Arthur. Because, answered Sir Ector, this is an enchanted sword, and no man could draw it but he who was born a king. Therefore, put the sword back into the stone and let me see you take it out. That is soon done, said Arthur, replacing the sword. And Sir Ector himself tried to draw it, but he could not. Now it is your turn, he said to Sir Kay. But Sir Kay fared no better than his father, though he tugged with all his might and mane. Now you, Arthur. And Arthur pulled it out as easily as if it had been lying in its sheath. And as he did so, Sir Ector and Sir Kay sank on their knees before him. Why do you, my father and brother, kneel to me? asked Arthur in surprise. Nay, nay, my lord, answered Sir Ector. I am not your father, though till today I could not tell you who your father really was. You are the son of Uther Pendragon, and you were brought to me when you were born by Merlin himself, who promised that when the time came, you should know from whom you sprang. 
When Arthur heard that Sir Ector was not his father, he wept bitterly. If I am king, he said at last, ask what you will, and I shall not fail you. For to you, and to my lady and mother, I owe more than to anyone in this world. For she loved me and treated me as her son. Sir, replied Sir Ector, I only ask that you will make your foster brother, Sir Kay, steward of all your lands. That I will readily, answered Arthur, and while he and I live, no other shall fill that office. Sir Ector then bade them seek out the archbishop with him, and they told him all that had happened concerning the sword, which Arthur had left standing in the stone. And on twelfth day, the knights and barons came again, but none could draw it out but Arthur. When they saw this, many of the barons became angry and cried out that they would never own a boy for king whose blood was no better than their own. So it was agreed to wait till Candlemas, when more knights might be there. And meanwhile, the same two men who had been chosen before watched the sword night and day. But at Candlemas, it was the same thing. And at Easter, and when Pentecost came, the common people who were present and saw Arthur pull out the sword, cried with one voice that he was their king, and they would kill any man who said differently. Then rich and poor fell on their knees before him, and Arthur took the sword and offered it upon the altar where the archbishop stood, and the best man who was there made him knight. After that, the crown was put on his head, and he swore to his lords and commons that he would be a true king and would do them all justice all the days of his life. The Sword Excalibur King Arthur accompanied by Merlin the magician, had left the comfort of the court to seek adventures. He had fought a hard battle with the tallest knight in all the land, and though he struck hard and well, he would have been slain had not Merlin enchanted the knight and cast him into a deep sleep and brought the king to a hermit who had studied the art of healing and cured all his wounds in three days. Then Arthur and Merlin waited no longer, but gave the hermit thanks and departed. As they rode together, Arthur said, I have no sword. But Merlin bade him be patient and he would soon give him one. In a little while, they came to a large lake, and in the midst of the lake, Arthur beheld an arm rising out of the water, 
holding up a sword. Look, said Merlin, that is the sword I spoke of. And the king looked again, and a maiden stood upon the water. That is the lady of the lake, said Merlin, and she is coming to you, and if you ask her courteously, she will give you the sword. So when the maiden drew near, Arthur saluted her and said, Maiden, I pray you tell me whose sword is that which an arm is holding out of the water. I wish it were mine, for I have lost my sword. That sword is mine, King Arthur, answered she, and I will give it to you, if you in return will give me a gift when I ask you. By my faith, said the king, I will give you whatever gift you ask. Well, said the maiden, get into the barge yonder and row yourself to the sword and take it and the scabbard with you. For this was the sword Excalibur. As for my gift, I will ask it in my own time. Then King Arthur and Merlin dismounted from their horses and tied them up safely and went into the barge. And when they came to the place where the arm was holding the sword, Arthur took it by the handle and the arm disappeared. And they brought the sword back to the land. As they rode, the king looked lovingly on his sword, which Merlin saw, and, smiling, said, Which do you like best, the sword or the scabbard? I like the sword, answered Arthur. You are not wise to say that, replied Merlin, for the scabbard is worth ten of the sword, and as long as it is buckled on you, you will lose no blood however sorely you may be wounded. So they rode into the town of Carleon, and Arthur's knights gave them a glad welcome and said it was a joy to serve under a king who risked his life as much as any common man. How the round table began. After King Arthur had fought, and conquered many enemies. He said one day to Merlin, whose counsel he took all the days of his life, my barons will let me have no rest, but bid me take a wife. And I have answered them that I shall take none except you advise me. It is well, replied Merlin, that you should take a wife, but is there any woman that you love better than another? Yes, said Arthur. I love Guinevere, daughter of Leo de Grance, king of Cameliard, in whose house is the round table that my father gave him. This maiden is the fairest that I have ever seen or ever shall see. Sir, answered Merlin, 
What you say as to her beauty is true, but if your heart was not set on her, I could find you another as fair and of more goodness than she. But if a man's heart is once set, it is idle to try to turn him. Then Merlin asked the king to give him a company of knights and esquires, that he might go to the court of King Leo de Grance and tell him that King Arthur desired to wed his daughter, which Arthur did gladly. Therefore, Merlin rode forth and made all the haste he could till he came to the castle of Cameliard and told King Leo de Grance who had sent him and why. That is the best news I have ever heard, replied Leo de Grance, for little did I think that so great and noble a king should seek to marry my daughter. As for lands to endow her with, I would give whatever he choose, but he has lands enough of his own. So I will give him instead something that will please him much more, the round table which Uther Pendragon gave me, where a hundred and fifty knights can sit at one time. I myself can call to my side a hundred good knights, but I lack fifty, for the wars have slain many, and some are absent. And without more words, King Leo de Grance gave his consent that his daughter should wed King Arthur. And Merlin returned with his knights and esquires, journeying partly by water and partly by land, till they drew near to London. When King Arthur heard of the coming of Merlin and of the knights with the round table, he was filled with joy and said to those that stood about him, this news that Merlin has brought me is welcome indeed, for I have long loved this fair lady, and the round table is dearer to me than great riches. Then he ordered that Sir Lancelot should ride to fetch the queen, and that preparations for the marriage and her coronation should be made, which was done. Now, Merlin, said the king, go and look about my kingdom and bring fifty of the bravest and most famous knights that can be found throughout the land. But no more than eight and twenty knights could Merlin find. With these, Arthur had to be content and the Bishop of Canterbury was fetched, and he blessed the seats that were placed by the round table, and the knight sat in them. Fair sirs, said Merlin, when the bishop had ended his blessing, arise all of you, and pay your homage to the king. So the knights arose to do his bidding, and in every seat was the name of the knight 
who had sat on it, written in letters of gold, but two seats were empty. After that, young Gawain came to the king and prayed him to make him a knight on the day that he should wed Guinevere. That I will gladly, replied the king, for you are my sister's son. As the king was speaking, a poor man entered the court, bringing with him a youth about 18 years old, riding on a lean mare, though it was not the custom for gentlemen to ride on mares. Where's King Arthur? asked the man. Yonder, answered the knights. Have you business with him? Yes, said the man. And he went and bowed low before the king. I have heard, O King Arthur, flower of knights and kings, that at the time of your marriage you would give any man the gift he should ask for. That is truth, answered the king, as long as I do no wrong to other men or to my kingdom. I thank you for your gracious words, said the poor man. The boon I would ask is that you would make my son a knight. It is a great boon to ask, answered the king. What is your name? Sir, my name is Ares, the cowherd. Is it you or your son that has thought of this honor? It is my son that desires it, not I, replied the man. I have thirteen sons who tend cattle and work in the fields if I bit them, but this boy will do nothing but shoot and cast darts or go to watch battles and look on nights, and all day long he besteeches me to bring him to you that he may be knighted also. What is your name? said Arthur, turning to the young man. Sir, my name is Tor. Where is your sword that I may knight you? said the king. It is here, my lord. Take it out of its sheath, said the king, and require me to make you a knight. Then Tor jumped off his mare and pulled out his sword and knelt before the king, praying that he might be made a knight and a knight of the round table. As for a knight, that I will make you, said Arthur smiting him in the neck with the sword. And if you are worthy of it, you shall be a knight of the round table. Then was the high feast made ready, and the king was wedded to fair Guinevere at Camelot in the church of St. Stephen with all due 
observance. And the next day, Gawain was made a knight also. Sir Tor proved before long by his gallant deeds that he was well worthy to sit in one of the empty seats at the round table.